You're on EducateForLife.com radio with Kevin Conover. And if you listen long enough, your faith will become... I'm tired of being conned. Don't worry, the con is over, Shay. We're now at DEFCON 1. Did you say carnivore or carnivore? Would you like to have a conversation with Kevin? Then call 800-243-9719. And now, here's your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time and bring your shame. Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. And uh, you can pick up a recording of this show if you like what we talk about. You can pick up a recording of uh, past shows. Last Saturday, I had Greg Kokel on, and we talked about the movie that just came out, The Shack. And as Christians, if we should be concerned about, you know, what it's teaching and its theology and these sorts of things. So uh, if you're interested in that, you can check us out online. Next Saturday, I'm going to be having Dr. Marcus Ross on. He's a paleontologist. We're going to be discussing the findings from paleontology that support the Bible. In two Saturdays, I'm going to have Dr. Doug Petrovich on the show, and we'll be discussing the recent archaeological evidence that shows both Moses and Joseph were real people. Incredible stuff. And today, my guest is marine biologist Dr. Robert Carter. We're going to be talking about how genetics gives evidence that Adam and Eve were real people who only lived about 6,000 years ago. And let me tell you a little bit about um, Dr. Carter before I bring him on. He had obtained a BS in applied biology from the Georgia Institute of Technology in 1992. He spent four years teaching high school biology, chemistry, physics, and electronics before he went to the University of Miami. He got his PhD in marine biology, successfully completed this program in 2003 with a dissertation on fluorescent proteins. While in Miami, he studied the genetics of pigmentation in corals and other invertebrates. He designed and built an aquaculture facility for Caribbean corals, performed well over 500 scuba dives. That sounds like a fun, fun job there. Many of them at night and licensed a spinoff product of his research, a patented fluorescent protein to a biotech company. And uh, Dr. Carter, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Really happy to be here. That's pretty amazing. 500 scuba dives. Yeah, I kind of lost count. Yeah. So, uh, so is that the fun part of your job or is that, uh, is that scary? Oh, no, no, that was great. I mean, yeah. spending all summer long in the Florida Keys, scuba diving every every other day or so, that was really tough. Yeah. <laughs> what a great job. And you get paid for that, huh? Yep. That's fantastic. Well, um, you were recently involved with the movie Is Genesis History that just came out, did really well in the theaters. I got to see it myself, and uh, it was phenomenal. And uh, you were there um, arguing from a genetics perspective uh, that – the biblical account of creation is accurate historically. Uh, we, can, we can count on the Bible to be recording real history. These are real people, Adam and Eve and, and uh, Noah's flood and all this stuff. Uh, how did you get involved with that movie? Well, since I had a published track record and um, um, some videos that I've done on the subject, I got a phone call. Some other people recommended me to the producers who said, hey, you got to talk to this guy about genetics. So that's how I got in there. That's fantastic. Now, um, have you always been interested in genetics? When did you start getting interested in genetics? Uh, I was interested in genetics after my first college class on the subject in about 1989. And I was like, this is awesome. I didn't know I was going to do that for a living. It was yeah. actually an accident in graduate school. Um, 
basically I got to a point over a couple of years where I had no funding. So I wrote a bunch of grant applications and the long shot came through. So I became a geneticist and I've been happy ever since. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You never know where God's going to take you, huh? That's right. Yeah. Well, um, now when you were, before you got interested in genetics, now, did you know a lot about the creation evolution debate and uh, the, the, you know, kind of the age of the earth debate? Uh, was that on your radar or was this kind of something that you developed along the way? I was first introduced to these ideas in my freshman year of college. I, I was not, I did not grow up with them at all. I mean, I was, I just would have assumed evolution is true and that the earth is billions of years old, like everything I was hearing at, in school and, and on, you know, any sort of an information source I had. Um, but right about the same time, I, I really started studying science really in depth. At the same time, I was uh, wandering away from the evolution camp and really questioning a lot of things. It took me a couple of years before I said, okay, I really do think the earth is not billions of years old. And I really do think Adam and Eve are real. Hmm. So what, that's interesting. So what was causing you to question evolution? Uh, what was causing you to question that paradigm? Well, the first thing was um, realizing that the walking whale that I had accepted as true after seeing it in National Geographic was nothing more than August License. Okay, that now wait. really wait. shocked me. Hold on for a second. For our listeners, you said a walking okay. whale. The walking whale was something that you found out was not true? Yeah, it's a, it's a fossil called Pachycetus. And I, you know, they had this great picture in the, of this thing diving and had kind of like paddle-like flippers on, on his hands and his feet and, you know, a long uh, vertical tail. Well, when they found more bones of it, I, I realized it really looked like a seven-foot-long rat. And it wasn't aquatic at all. Oh, wow. And I was like, I was like you know, this is really annoying. I accepted this as true. Now, that one little thing right there. Actually, someone challenged me. I was an evolutionist, and someone challenged me on that. And I had not heard about the new fossil evidence. And it, wait a minute. And that just started me on a road of questioning. And I realized that most everything I was hearing from the evolutionists either fit in the biblical model or probably wasn't true at all. Wow, that's really interesting. So you, you, um, you became a skeptic, essentially, and began to question things rather than just accepting them. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a natural skeptic. I drive people crazy sometimes because I'm <laughs> questioning, 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 questioning. I really want to know if something's true. I don't accept anyone's word for it. I want to know myself. That's fantastic. Now, I have heard that um, whales have um, vestigial legs uh, that, or, or that it shows in the, the bones. There's these little bones, and you see them in museums and everything. Uh, what about those bones? Um, it's really kind of funny because the vestigial leg argument in whales has changed over the years. Yeah. Uh, back about the turn of the century, there was a report that they had found these, um, these uh, legs sticking off the bottom of a whale. But, you know... I, I can't trust it. It's over 100 years old. The pictures are grainy. And I'm sorry, there's so much misinformation floating around back then. Mm. And people doing all sorts of fraudulent activity, they look like the legs of mules to me. Oh, wow. I really don't think they're, they're whale at all. But now recently they're saying, oh, no, in utero, whale um, embryos develop legs first and then get resorbent. You know, I have to check it out. I know this is it's like, I there's a lot of questions that I have that I cannot answer directly because I can't be an expert in all things. Sure, sure. So, and, But that one there, I know there's already been a lot of falsehood attributed to this, and so I'm really skeptical. So that's On the other a, hand... Yeah, go ahead. So what if they did? You know, so, I mean, we know that a lot of organisms develop along parallel lines. Mm. And a whale develops along the line of a mammal. It does, because... They're like mammals. They're, they are mammals. Yeah. And so based on this basic mammal design, 
as it's growing in utero, I really don't think it has legs, but I'm, I'm guessing that the genes for legs are triggered in the well embryo, but it's because they, most genes do more than one thing. Mm, interesting. Almost all genes do more than one thing. It's like, you know, people say, oh, humans have a yolk sac in the embryo. Well, actually, no, they don't but they do have the genes for it, and those genes produce things that are really, really, really important for the embryo. Now, from an from a evolutionary perspective, somebody might say, well, that's, you know, the, the argument is that's left over from our evolutionary past, or that's to sure. allow us to evolve. From a creationist perspective, how would you respond to, you know, why, why that exists there? Well, um, usually what I do is I first I point to the vestigial organ argument. Um, back in the 1800s, there was like, 80-something organs in the human body they claimed were vestigial. Just, you know, shriveled up evolutionary leftovers, everything from the thymus to the appendix to the tonsils to the, the little gland in the corner of your eye that produces tears. You know, all these things are just vestigial. And today, none of them are vestigial. And we know so many functions for the human appendix, we don't even know what the most important function is. Wow, yeah. And they used to just take it out saying, we don't need this. Yeah, no, they don't. In fact, doc, I had my tonsils operated on about 10 years ago. The doctor did not remove my tonsils. He opened up the pores a little bit so they would drain a little better because it's an important part of your immune system. Mm, interesting. Yeah, now, so, th- yeah, go ahead. So, so the history of the vestigial organ argument is really, really bad. Well, today in genetics, the argument is called junk DNA. And that is a vestigial organ argument all over again. And all you have to do is find a function for any of this junk, and all of a sudden you realize, wait, that is not junk. That has a, has a function. And the junk DNA has fallen on kind of uh, hard times, too. That, that has actually been disproven. It's actually, they know, they know it's useful now, right? Is that correct? Some, some evolutionists are still holding on to it because they don't want to let it go. But um, some of the more honest ones have said, yeah, this doesn't work. There's not as much junk as we thought. In fact, it's hardly any at all. But see, even from a creation standpoint, I have no problem with non-functional DNA. I have no problem with pieces of DNA being scaffolding, holding different genes in place in the nucleus. And I have no problem with broken DNA because we're in a cursed world. Things are falling apart. Mm. In fact, one of the, the gene classes that falls apart fastest is a sense of smell. Interesting. Well, well, well uh, Dr. Carter, we're coming up on a break here. Um, so when we come back, we'll continue to talk about what, what Dr. Carter is talking about here. That, yeah, the body is falling apart. There's stuff that's you know, not, not useful anymore. And uh, how does that fit into a creation perspective versus an evolution perspective? We're also going to talk about mitochondrial Eve and the evidence from genetics uh, that, that we came from a single woman. So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. 
What do leading local restaurants have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at expressfixcoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. 619-867-3853. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0766. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 7.30 to 5.30, and Saturdays, 7.30 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. I will cast my cares on you You're the anchor of my hope The only one who's in control I will Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. You can pick up a recording of this show as well as previous shows. We've got all kinds of interesting stuff on there. Recently had Dr. James Tor on the program who is uh, ranked as one of the top 50 scientists in the world, talking about why uh, he is does, he's skeptical of evolution. My guest today is Dr. Robert Carter. He's a marine biologist, and currently um, he works with Creation Ministries International. Uh, creation.com is their website. I highly recommend you check out their website. They have thousands and thousands of articles on there uh, that are just incredibly uh, helpful and give you uh, incredible scientific insight into uh, the argument for creation. They also recently produced, and Dr. Carter uh, produced, Evolution's Achilles Heel. Um, and, and tell us a little bit about that movie, Dr. Carter, before we get back to, into uh, smell. Sure. Um, Evolution's Achilles Heels is um, something different uh, that, that we've done. Most of the things that CMI does, the Creation Ministries International does, is defensive. You know, we try to explain the latest attack from the evolution. We try to defend the Bible. But we say, wait a minute, we don't have to defend this. we got really good arguments. Let's turn the tables around and make them defend their territory. No, I love it. <laughs> so what we did is we interviewed a number of Ph.D. scientists, all of whom happen to be Bible believers, and said, okay, Mr. Nerdy Ph.D. scientist, according to your area of expertise, what can evolution not answer? And Very man, good. they said some profound things. Who are some of the scientists that, on there? What are some of the areas that you cover? Well, um, we covered eight different areas. Um, we, we covered um, natural selection, uh, genetics, the fossil record, the rock record, the origin of life, um, uh, Big Bang Theory, um, and, um, and ethics and morality. Mm. Because you can't perform science without a system of ethics and morality. Well, well, now, why would you say that? Well, because, I mean... As a scientist, you have to trust the other scientists aren't lying to you. You, you have to work on this great body of past knowledge that, you, that had to be a 
accumulated and written down without people fudging the data and cooking the books. Yeah, and that's um, a that's a big problem in science. I actually um, was doing my own research, problem. and I found out uh, there's a website called Retraction Watch, which is not a Christian oh. site, but they just look for art, scientific articles that have had to be retracted because scientists fudge their data. And um, yeah. and you yourself said that that was one of the problems you saw that really frustrated you. Yes. So oh, is, would you say that's ongoing in, in science today? Um, it is ongoing. And, you know, people are sinful. People are selfish. There's always going to be people who are trying to, trying to do things incorrectly or wrongly or lying. It's not going to go away. But, I mean, if you think about it, the reason the Christians don't lie is because God tells us not to. We're supposed to have the image of God. He's not a liar, so we're not supposed to lie. Mm. Um, why would an evolutionist not lie? Well, one, because they have an image of God in them, and, you know, they already know what lying is by default. But if you just apply it strict evolution, the only reason not to lie is because you might get caught. Yeah, that's right. And if you get caught lying, you might lose your funding. And it's, it's really funny. I mean, how do we know if evolution is true? How do we know that scientists aren't just a pile of monkeys fighting over a bunch of bananas? <laughs> you know, what, what kind of logical structure of thought do you get out of that scenario? I mean, maybe they have triangulated um, all, the, all the bananas and they're telling us stuff and trying to keep us out because they say this and therefore, you know, as long as they agree together, they can keep on getting the bananas or something like that. That sounds silly, but yeah. So, so what do you say to the person who says, well, how do I know what to believe then? I mean, I can't be an expert in all these areas. I can't figure all this out. There's so much data out there. There's so much, uh, you know, like you said, misinformation out there. So how do I get, get at the truth if I'm an average Joe out there, a lay person just trying to figure this stuff out? Well, honestly, there are probably four or five big questions that people throw at us that most of them have a pretty easy answer. At least, you know, a satisfactory answer from our standpoint, whether or not they accept the answer or not. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure most of this out. Hmm. Uh, creation.com is, I think we, we've got nine or 10,000 articles now. I mean, if you have a question, you go there and we're going to have an answer for you. Um, I think Evolution's Achilles Heels is an excellent resource for a person who wants questions answered. I mean, it's like drinking from a fire hose, maybe. Yeah. There's so much information. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, I want to try and conclusively and concisely uh, show the biggest problems with evolutionary theory. Usually, and I, and I hear it so much, you hear some evolutionary uh, professor or you know, Bill Nye or someone like that, and they're, they're telling you a bunch of stuff, and I'm sitting there going, yep, 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 I agree with that, yep, 100%, true, 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 and, they start, and therefore evolution must be true. And I said, wait a second, you didn't say anything that actually supported evolution. You said mutations happen. You said natural selection weeds things out of the gene pool. You said, you know, species might change a little bit over time. But that doesn't prove common ancestry. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is they, they pull the wool over people's eyes. They give them information that's probably true. And then they say, see that? Therefore, I must be right. Mm -hmm. But all the information they give is usually something I agree with also. So the conclusion from the information is unwarranted is what you're saying. You're saying that the conclusion that we evolved from a common ancestor, uh, you know, way, way back billions of years ago, um, is, is not justified by the observable evidence that we see in science today. That's right. And then when you apply math to the situation, the whole evolutionary system comes crashing down. 
And by math, you mean prob- the probability that this could all arrive by chance. Well, yeah, but even not, not just the origin of life math, but just the math of um, evolving humans from a, a chimpanzee-human ancestor. So if you just look at the number of differences between humans and chimpanzees. Yeah, we're very similar. That is true. But we have millions of differences. How many only have, you, a f- have they quantified that? How many differences there are in the chimp DNA versus the human DNA? The old number was 35 million single-letter differences, Mm -hmm. Um, but that came about through the first uh, chimpanzee sequencing project, and I'm pretty pretty certain that that project was contaminated with human DNA. That was before people realized that all of the sequencing projects at that time were contaminated with human DNA. In fact, the pufferfish genome, they had an entire chromosome that was human. Well, how does that happen? What, what do you mean? A cell dropped in there from a scientist or something that, and they met, yeah, messed it yeah, up? Yeah, because when, when you're making millions of copies of DNA, any DNA gets copied. The, the machine and the chemicals, they don't know what, what is, belongs here and what doesn't. Oh, wow. So you're saying that and, there's, it's a probably an even greater difference between the chimp and human DNA than it, than it used to be thought. Yeah. One of, one of my friends, uh, uh, Jeff Tompkins, who's at the uh, Institute for Creation Research, he has calculated that it's about 80% similarity. Okay. If you just take the reads that come out of the machine and don't try to assemble them into a whole chimpanzee genome, but just take the, the, what the machine's spitting out and compare that to human and compare human to it, and you get about 80% similarity. But even if it was 95% similarity, they don't have enough time. So the question, I mean, is, the question is, how do you get from the chimp-like DNA, the chimp, chimp ancestor DNA, to us, um, changing those only, letters. Uh, yeah, and only a few hundred thousand generations. Okay, okay. Because so, evolution is not measured in years. It's measured in generations. It's all about reproduction, and reproduction is generations. And you only have a few hundred thousand, all the way back to that supposed common ancestor. Well, I'm real That's curious. A lot of change. I'm real curious how, how a secular scientist, somebody who's not a Bible-believing Christian, would respond to what you're saying. And I'm also interested in the evidence for um, Eve from genetics, mitochondrial Eve, it, it's come up quite a few times. People have, I've heard it even among um, those who don't believe in uh, the Bible saying that we have a, we've, we've, we've been able to trace the uh, genetics backwards and we've been able to come to a woman or is it a group of women or a group of people or whatever the case. And I'm curious to get your, um, your thoughts on that. My guest today is Dr. Robert Carter. And uh, he was recently interviewed for the movie Is Genesis History, came out in the theaters just recently. I highly recommend the movie. And um, he's an expert in genetics, uh, and he's a marine biologist. And uh, we're going to continue to have this discussion about genetics. And is genetics, uh, current science, give more evidence for the truth of the creation hypothesis or the evolutionary hypothesis? Stay with us. We're going to be right back. Before I bring my knee. I will bring my heart. Hi, this is Kevin Conover. Will you please donate to Educate for Life so we can share the truth of God's word with kids in public schools? You can donate online at donatetoefl.org. The Bible used to be read in public schools on a regular basis prior to the 1960s. But today, most kids are completely clueless when it comes to the content and the historical and scientific accuracy of the Bible. Please help us by donating online at donatetoefl.org. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president 
president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Hi, I'm Marissa Conover, and I would love to help you buy or sell your home. I've worked as a realtor for more than 13 years, and as a San Diego native, my passion and experience will help make your move as peaceful as can be. Call me at 619-251-1577. That's 619-251-1577. Or visit Conover homes.com this is throughout all ages ministry with joe and stacy we would like to equip you to share the gospel with confidence in a biblical and effective way we would like to teach you through the proclamation of the gospel whether you're the skeptic god who created you said that he has made himself known to you so that you are without excuse one-on-one evangelism how do you think you can get to heaven i've never really thought about it but i've always thought of you know doing good for more information go throughout all ages.com like us on facebook or visit us at youtube at throughout all ages i'm giving Thanks for tuning in to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. You can pick up a a recording of this show if you uh, didn't get to hear the first two segments. Very interesting stuff. You can also sign up for online classes on my website. Deals with everything, all the questions you could have about the Bible or God or creation, evolution, uh, the issues of, we deal with the issues of abortion and homosexuality, all kinds of stuff um, that you can check out there and um, learn all about how to help your friends find the answers to their questions so that they can ultimately come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. My guest today is Dr. Rob Carter. He's a marine biologist. He works with creation.com, Creation Ministries International, incredible um, website and resource. They've got all kinds of conferences all over the world. And uh, now creation.com is based out of uh, Australia. Is that correct, Dr. Carter? Uh, it is. We have offices in seven different countries, including the U.S. Oh, man, that's incredible. Now, you were, you were, we were talking, when we left off last segment, we were talking about, um, I, I wanted to ask you about mitochondrial Eve, and you're saying that the genetics does not support the evolutionary theory. Chimp, chimp-like ancestor to human, there's just not enough time to get it done with the amount of ch- differences there are between uh, the chimp-like ancestor and us. What about the claim that um, we can somehow trace our genetics back to Adam and Eve? Is that true? Um, it is true, um, but the evolutionists tried to spin it in a different direction. Um, so so when was this evidence discovered that, that you could actually trace the genetics? I, I mean, this must have been mind-blowing to people that we could trace genetics back to a, an original Adam and Eve. Uh, yeah, this was um, 1988, I believe. Okay. The first, the first time people had enough sequence data from people around the world to make a family tree. Um, it didn't have to work out that way. Uh, we didn't have to have one female ancestor with a unique human uh, piece of DNA, we could have shared a lot of different lines with chimpanzees, you know, if we came from a common ancestral source population with them. But we don't. We have a very different uh, piece of DNA there. And since that little piece is only passed from mother to child, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't recombine over time. 
So any family line is a straight family line, and any mutation that happens in that family sticks there. And so the family tree grows by branching through mutation, and you can reverse the clock and go back and see that there really is only one female. Wow, that's very interesting. So, so uh, just can you go over that one more time? How, because right. um, the the details of that, just uh, as basic as you can. How do you are you able to look at the genes and actually trace that back to an Eve? Okay, well let's go the other direction. Let's start with Eve. Okay, Eve has you know any number of children, and then they have children, they have children, they have children. Well, every time a child is born, there's a chance that that child is going to have a mutation and a random copying mistake in a little piece of DNA that's only inherited from the mother. Okay. And every time that happens, it makes a new branch on the tree. Okay. So over time, the family tree gets more and more branches. Well, you can back that process up, look at people today, and realize, wait a minute, that's the ancestor of everybody. Interesting. So would that be that, that the farther back in time you go, the, the fewer and fewer mutations that person would potentially yes. have? Yes, absolutely. And, and now is that accepted by um, secular science? That's not like a Christian thing? <laughs> oh, no, this is absolutely accepted by them. Um, but then when you actually count up the number of mutations, you realize there's only about 20 to 30 mutations that separate most people in the world from that ancestor. Um, that's really easy to do. Now, we're not talking about since, actually, since creation. Uh, the Bible put creation a little more than 6,000 years ago. Um, that's really easy to get that many mutations in that much time. Interesting. Now, now is there a... Um... I read Dr. Sanford's book on uh, genetic entropy. Yep. Uh, yep. So can you explain that thesis, how that works as far as time is concerned and why we think um, history only goes back about 6,000 years if we go back to Adam and Eve? Sure. Um, first of all, John Sanford and I work together a lot, and we've worked together for nearly for over a decade now. Um, he's had a profound influence on my understanding of genetics, even. He's a world-famous geneticist. Mm. Um, and after a long time, he became a Christian, and then he became, to the horror of his colleagues, a creationist. Yeah, so he, <laughs> I know. He's an insider into the, the inside world of, of genetics, and he, um, uh, he came up with a, a thesis called genetic entropy, and that is, um, given mutations and given the power of natural selection, the human genome, in fact, all genomes, should break down over time because selection cannot remove most mutations. Mm. So if you're born without a head, obviously you're not going to have any children. But if you're born without fingers, that might not stop you. That's a pretty drastic mutation. But natural selection might not even prevent you from having children mm. with, with some pretty, pretty huge mutations. And so, um, so the idea is that over time... Uh, Things break down. Now, we have uh, written several papers. In fact, several of papers have been published in evolutionary literature. Um, we've done a lot of mathematical work. He's written a, a monster program called Mendel's Accountant, which is the most sophisticated evolutionary modeling program ever written. And wow. it was written by a bunch of creationists. Well, that's interesting. Now, is that used by secular scientists? Um, it could be. They don't want to, and we've actually, that program has generated probably 20 or 30 publications. And we've been able to show clearly what natural selection can and cannot do. 
and I would tell your audience here, natural selection does not do what Darwin needed. Yeah, so what, blind so what, to most mutations. Yeah, so natural selection need, needs to be able to eliminate uh, the damage that's done by uh, uh, undirected mutations, but, but you're saying it doesn't actually do that. It, it can't, because most mutations don't influence reproduction. So Most mutations aren't profound enough to have an impact on the number of children that person has. Yeah, they're too minute. Uh, yeah, they're too minute. Even if something like blue eyes. Blue eyes is a mutation. It occurred in the early European population after the Tower of Babel, and it's a pretty radical mutation. I mean, you lost most of the color in your eye, and yet, so what? You have a broken pathway, a, you know, something very important thing puts melanin in your iris, that iris, that pathway is destroyed somehow, and yet natural selection doesn't care. Well, that's that's interesting. Now, somebody would say, uh, "How do you know that's not a beneficial mutation? Um, you know, that's not a good thing, and that's why natural selection has kept it in." How would you respond to that? Um, actually, I would, I would appeal to sickle cell anemia in the uh, in the sub-Saharan African population. Mm-hmm. Um, that I believe is a great example of natural selection. You've got um, a mutation that causes hemoglobin to make crystals, and those crystals tear apart the malaria parasite that likes to live inside red blood cells. And if you're a carrier of that disease, you have a much, you're much more likely to reach adulthood when you can have children. Because you don't get sick, because you don't get... Uh, because you don't, yeah, because you don't die. Yeah. It, in this case, if you're living in the area where there's malaria, it's better to be sick with sickle cell anemia than to die of malaria. Huh. So is that natural selection? Yeah. Is it beneficial? Well, that's a great question. I mean, because yeah, you, you kind of... You, you're broken. Yeah, you're, you're in trouble either way. Yeah, it's a downhill change. And what we've seen time and time again in the evolutionary literature is, yes, yeah, selection might work in context, but every example that we've seen is a downhill change. Something broke, caused a new trait to appear, and therefore uh, that helped people survive over time. Oh, very interesting stuff. My guest today is Dr. Robert Carter. He is a marine biologist. He's with uh, Creation.com, Creation Ministries International, and uh, very heavy into genetics, and also uh, knows a lot about corals. I'm very interested in the, the coral argument for the age of the earth. Um, so when we get back, we'll talk about that. Also, also is it possible to clone a mammoth? Um, something else that Dr. Uh, Carter has looked into. So we'll be right back. Stay with us. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. This is Throughout All Ages Ministry with Joe and Stacy. We would like to equip you to share the gospel with confidence in a biblical and effective way. We would like to teach you through the proclamation of the gospel. Whether you're the skeptic, God who created you said that he has made himself known to you so that you are without excuse. One-on-one evangelism. How do you think you can get to heaven? 
never really thought about it, but I've always just thought of, you know, doing good. For more information, go throughoutallages.com, like us on Facebook, or visit us at YouTube at Throughout All Ages. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 730 to 530, and Saturdays, 730 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Do you have one-button espresso machines in your home or business? They make delicious coffee drinks, but they're not maintenance-free. Express Fix Coffee is San Diego's source for coffee and espresso machine repair, sales, and service. Call Dave Martin at Express Fix Coffee for new and used espresso machines, repairs, parts, and accessories. They'll save you time and money. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. Learn more at ExpressFixCoffee.com. There's got to be more Than going back and forth From doing right to doing wrong Cause we were taught that's who we are Come on. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. And my guest today is Dr. Robert Carter with Creation.com. I highly recommend uh, you check out the movie he produced, Evolution's Achilles Heel. Very, very good. If you want to um, break down all the technical language and just get down to the nitty-gritty and um, just a simple argument you can make to those who are skeptics about creation, uh, that's a great resource for you. And uh, Dr. Carter, you you started out as a marine biologist um, looking a lot of, at, at a lot of corals and coral growth and these sorts of things. Um, how does – is there evidence from corals that the biblical account of history is true? Uh, does that have something to do with that? Yeah, there's great evidence from corals and coral reefs that, that biblical history is true. Now, there's some challenges that, that are difficult to answer, but if you look at the big picture, first of all, there are no giant corals in the fossil record. There are giant corals today, and there's corals bigger in the car, um, but they don't exist in the fossil record. It's a pretty strong indication that there's not much time in the fossil record. Well, that's, uh, that, no, I've never heard that before. There's no corals in the fossil record. Is that well known? Within no, no, the... no, 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 no big corals. There's lots of little corals in the fossil record. And there's some, you know, as large as a person, maybe. If you, you know, call it, curl yourself up in a ball, that's about the biggest one that I've seen, the biggest example I've seen of a single coral colony. Now, generally speaking, we would accept there to be, be larger uh, corals in the fossil record simply because, according to evolutionary timeframes, we've been here for, what, like 3.6 billion years or so, and... Yeah. So is that even is, you know, even taken when they think corals might have evolved, they've had a very long time to make big colonies, and we only see them recently. Interesting. So, Point so what's the largest coral today? Oh, I've seen a single uh, coral colony that was um, oh, I think it's hard to even say because it was you know parts of it that was dead and died back and grew out of here and there, but I, it was as big as an elephant. Okay probably two or three or five elephants. I'm, I'm not sure. I was underwater swimming around it. Yeah. Um, it was just massive. Okay. Second part, people look at the Great Barrier Reef and they say, how can the Great Barrier Reef have grown in, you know, since Noah's flood? Ha, 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 you stupid creationists. I said, wait a second. Great Barrier Reef is not deep. It's wide. Okay. The Great Barrier Reef, even for the evolutionist who thinks that the Earth was locked up in Ice Age until 10,000 years ago, because the Great Barrier Reef is shallow... All that was dry ground 
for them 10,000 years ago. So they think the whole entire Great Barrier Reef grew on old hills that are now underwater within 10,000 years. I said, okay, so it grew within, uh, since Noah's flood was about 4,500 years ago. The difference between those two numbers is not very much at all. Mm. In fact, most of the great, a lot of Great Barrier Reef can't grow higher anymore because it's at sea level. It can grow wider, but the problem is all the shallow spots have been taken and the deep spots, well, the corals can't grow you know, ver- uh, can't, can't grow horizontally over a big drop-off. It'll break off and fall. Oh, interesting. That's, what, oh. that's why it's there. Um, we do have some challenges like um, the big atolls in the middle of the Pacific Ocean that supposedly are a mile-thick coral reef. Um, but when people have drilled through those, uh, to my understanding anyway, uh, most of that is not coral at all. It's sand that's been welded together by uh, algae and sponges and things like that. Um, or it's um, little microscopic organisms that, that produce sand-like grains. And yes, there's some corals in there. But we don't have to have corals grow a mile thick in 4,500 years. We've seen the big sandbar to accumulate, and occasionally a coral will grow on top of it, and they get buried in more sand. Okay, so, so basically coral, the, the, the growth of coral reefs and so forth uh, fits nicely within the biblical time frames. Yeah, yeah it does, surprisingly. Now, okay, um, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I had asked one of my uh, evolutionary professors, he's a famous marine geologist. I said, Dr. X, you know, I'm learning all this stuff in, in my biology class about corals and coral reefs and things like that. And then here I'm in geology class, and I said, all the examples of coral reefs I have are recent and they're on top of the fossil record. Do we have any from deep in the fossil record? And he stopped. And he looked at me. He goes, hmm, um, well, uh, goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, the coral reefs in Canada that they use for for oil prospecting. And I thought he had stumped me. And mm-hmm. I thought he got me. He said, oh, deep, you know, mile underground in the middle of Canada, these old coral reefs, they're not coral reefs. There's some limestone pillars that have nothing at all. They don't at all even look biological. Interesting. So, so, so the more you look into this, the more you, you just continue to look and see evidence for creation, even when these kind of arguments are brought up. Yeah. I, in other words, it doesn't cause me to question biblical time. The subject corals doesn't. Okay, so you see more evidence for uh, recent creation versus uh, millions of ages, millions of years. Yes. Oh. I had another professor once say, hey, um, uh, Florida, because I was in Florida, at Miami. He goes, Florida is just one, basically one big coral reef. And I raised my hand and I said, excuse me, uh, Florida is like a mile thick of chemically deposited limestone, and we don't even understand how that limestone formed. And on top of that limestone are some small coral reefs. He stopped and goes, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> now, are you, as you, know, as you continue to explore this stuff, I mean, I, I think creationism has uh, grown in leaps and bounds as far as, you know, the past, whatever, 30 or 40 years, um, with the amount of people getting more and more involved in creation research and these sorts of things. Um, are you seeing other scientists reconsider their position regarding evolution and so forth, like Dr. Sanford and like yourself and others? Uh, is this ongoing? Uh, yes. There's, there are a lot of scientists who have changed their ideas, changed their minds. Now, some of them are um, in delicate positions and can't talk about it. Um, I saw on, your, on the website you interviewed um, a, a Dr. Um, Liu, who was a molecular biologist. What, what was the situation with him? Or is that her? I'm not sure. Uh, no, it was, it was a him. He yeah. um, a, a, was raised in communist China. He was actually born the same year I was, interestingly. Mm-hmm. 
so, um, I, you know, he came to the States, um, as an atheist, as a communist, basically. Um, and then through some witnessing of some Chinese students at his university, he said, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to become a Christian and became a Christian. Now he's on fire. I mean, he's a really, really amazing person. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, so you're seeing a lot of people who are seeing this, uh, evidence that's being brought up from kind of like, uh, evolution's Achilles heel and is Genesis history and, um, people are beginning to reconsider. And, uh, so I guess what I'm getting at is, um, is more and more evidence coming to bear, coming to prove that the creation position is scientifically valid. Yeah. Not, not proof, uh-huh. support, support. Okay. Uh, science, it's really hard to prove something in science. You have to make a lot of assumptions about reality even to start. But we've got a great model. We've got great answers for huge subjects that we didn't think, you know, 10 years ago, like, how on earth we answer that? Oh, wait a minute. Now we have an answer for it. Mm. Um, we really have come a, a long way in leaps and bounds. And honestly, I think genetics is the best thing that ever happened to us. I think the Human Genome Project is one of the most wonderful things ever um, just to sh- give us, you know, enough data that we can say, wait, you know, this really, really, really looks like creation. This does not look like, like what Darwin has told us and what all these other Darwinists have said for all these you know, hundred and something years. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious about that, too, because I know that Francis Collins, who headed up the Human Genome Project, still believes in evolution, even though he is a Christian. Um, yeah. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. But I still want to talk about, uh, is it, are we going to actually be able to clone mammoths? Uh, I think that'd be really cool. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so when we get back, I want to talk a little bit more about genetic entropy. I want to talk about Francis Collins, and I want to talk about uh, cloning mammoths. So my guest today is Dr. Robert Carter, and he's an expert on genetics. So uh, stay with us. We're going to be right back. For 36 years, Fastlane Kayaking has helped people like you experience everything that's great about San Diego. Fastlane makes fishing and water sports fun and easy. Hobie Cat kayaks feature a popular pedal system, not paddles, keeping your hands free as you fish. You no longer need to tow and gas up a boat to experience great San Diego fishing. Call or come in for your no-charge demo ride, 619-222-0766, fastlanesailing.com. At Dana Landing Marine, Across from SeaWorld, 619-222-0766. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Hi, I'm Marissa Conover, and I would love to help you buy or sell your home. I've worked as a realtor for more than 13 years, and as a San Diego native, my passion and experience will help make your move as peaceful as can be. Call me at 619-251-1577. That's 619-251-1577. Or visit conoverhomes.com. I will cast my cares on you You're the anchor of my hope The only one who's in control I will cast my 
Welcome to Educate for Life. Thanks for listening today. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. You can pick up a recording of this show if you like, as well as uh, tons of other interviews with scientists from all over the world, all kinds of interesting things, as well as interview. I've got all kinds of interviews on there with um, people from different walks of life. Recently interviewed um, uh, Victor Marks, who is the the fastest, he has the fastest uh, gun disarming record in the world. He's also a high-risk missionary in Iraq. Recently uh, interviewed Dr. Christopher uh, Yuan, who is um, a former homosexual who accepted Christ. He's also a an expert in uh, sexuality. Very, very interesting interview. All kinds of stuff on there um, that you can check out and just learn from people who have expertise in these different areas. My guest today is Dr. Robert Carter, who has an, who is an expert in genetics, was recently uh, a part of the film Is Genesis History, where they're looking at the genetics uh, and what does genetics tell us about reality and history and the Bible and Adam and Eve and these sorts of things. And um, Dr. Carter, you... You're with creation.com, and uh, how, did, how did you like working with uh, Dr. Tackett, Dr. Del Tackett of The Truth Project? Oh, I loved it. You know, we went through The Truth Project um, a couple years ago at church, mm-hmm. and I had no idea that I was going to get to work with him. All the guys at church are jealous. Yeah. <laughs> He's a fantastic fellow with a really interesting history, um, working at the White House and, and being uh, real deep into early computer science. It was, it was, I really enjoyed meeting him. Yeah, it's so cool. I had him and Dr. Snelling on the the radio a few weeks back, and uh, both really nice guys. Um, so, so uh, is it possible that we're going to actually clone a mammoth? Is that is that real? Yeah, I wrote a an article for our um, our creation magazine um, uh, called uh, "Woolly Mammoths Coming to a Zoo Near You." Yeah, <laughs> um, and the answer is yes and no. Uh, no. Because uh, mammoth DNA being thousands of years old is degraded. So you can't just take a a mammoth nucleus with a genome and stick it in an elephant cell. Two, elephants aren't lab rats. It's not easy to genetically modify an elephant. Um, But so three, and and I just actually read um, some some accounts of this recently, people are working on uh, ways to manipulate the DNA of an elephant. Because now that we've sequenced the mammoth genome, even though it's fragmentary, we got a pretty good picture of it. We say, okay, that right there, that gene causes the hairiness. That gene causes the size. That gene causes the big tusks. If we take an elephant and modify this, this, and this, we can get a hairy elephant. Well, is that real? You really could do that? Well, in theory, yeah. I mean, we can do that with mice. Mm-hmm. Elephants are a lot trickier. And there's a big uproar of people saying, you can't have an elephant mother... Uh, uh, bear a woolly mammoth. It's not fair. Oh. I don't know why it wouldn't be fair. Yeah. So what they can do? Have an artificial womb for an elephant? I mean, that's kind of risky. But they're working on it. It's uh. a serious, serious project. Now, now I've uh, according to his Genesis history, you know that they put the evidence there that they found um, soft tissue in dinosaurs. So are we going to be able to do the oh, same yeah. thing with uh, with uh, you know T Rex and all? Um, okay. Well, you keep mentioning is Genesis history. Just yeah. for your listening audience. Yeah. Um, the movie, well, actually, was the number one movie in the nation a couple Thursdays ago. Wow. It only had one night showing and a couple of um, after nights just because it was so popular. Yeah. It's going to be available online. Um, you can get copies of it through creation.com and several other places also if you're interested. All right. Um, um, okay, what was the question? 
uh, are we going to be able to clone a dinosaur because we, it, oh, they yeah, found yeah, soft yeah. tissue in the dinosaur bones? Um, okay, great question. Same answer as the woolly mammoth. Uh, dinosaur fossils are, if they're killed in the flood, that's 4,500 years ago. Hmm. That's a lot of time for DNA decay. I, I wasn't even expecting any soft tissue in, in dinosaur uh, fossils after that many thousands of years. I mean, when I heard it, I was like, are you kidding me? That stuff should have been decayed away a long time ago. I mean, you can't leave a ham sandwich on the counter for a week before it starts turning green. Could you bury a pig in your backyard for a hundred years and find any pig left? Yeah. No. <laughs> and, and so, but there's so much material coming out of dinosaur fossils now. We realize, wait a minute, some of the stuff isn't even fossilized. Some of it still stinks. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and that right there like refutes 13, the evolutionary time frames itself. Well, that, that is that and the fact that they found carbon-14 in dinosaur bones. Those two things right there is direct laboratory contradiction of the evolutionary time frame. So how does somebody like Francis Collins, uh, you know, who studies genetics like you and, and Dr. Sanford and others, how does he continue to hold to an evolutionary perspective when we have all this stuff coming out that contradicts it? Well, um, from my exposure to um, people like Dr. Collins and a lot of his colleagues that write articles with him and things like that, um, I have, I'm still waiting to see one of them actually do a detailed analysis of what um, one of the creation organizations actually teaches. What I see is a lot of circular reasoning. Um, you know, this is what we expect in evolution. This is what we see. Therefore, evolution must be true. Mm. But wait a minute. What do we expect? From a biblical perspective, what would you actually expect? Oh, exactly what we see. Yeah. And then you throw in the curveballs like soft tissue in dinosaurs, carbon-14 in dinosaur bones, uh, DNA decays too quickly, uh, the, the mutation rate in humans is too high, we're going to go extinct, natural selection can't save us. Those sorts of Achilles heels of evolutionary theory should cause one to change their mind. But... That would mean you lose funding, you lose faith, you know, you'll maybe be railroaded out of your institution, or it, maybe it's just too big a challenge. I mean, people don't like to be challenged on their pet ideas. That's, that's scary for most people. Yeah. So what do you think about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? What do you think, uh, what do you foresee in science? Uh, do, you, do you think there's going to be a paradigm shift, or do you think that uh, this battle is going to continue to go back and forth like this? Oh, yeah, there's a paradigm shift. There's another article I wrote in Creation Magazine, which one is both these articles, by the way, on creation.com now, um, called Slaying Yesterday's Dragons. And I basically said, you know, with all this new information we have, Darwinism is on, in really uh, difficult straits. It, it, it's a problem to be a straight-up Darwinist today. Mm. And a lot of younger professors are teaching things like the Gaia hypothesis that the universe is alive, or emergent complexity that woven into the fabric of the universe is spontaneous complexity, or um, aliens did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, and, it's, it's funny because I had a, I had a, I interviewed an atheist on the show a while back, and I said, so you think everything came from nothing? And he says to me, no, I don't think everything came from nothing. And I said, well, where do you think it came from? And he said, well, some force out there. And I was like, what? Wait a second. I thought you were an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many people saying things like that. They have actually left empirical science hmm. and they've gone to mysticism. Because that's, that's the only really place you can funny. go if, you, if, you're, if you're not going to pay attention to science because the, the yeah. science is so powerfully uh, supporting the biblical record. Yeah. I mean, the, the origin of life specifically 
most scientists avoid it like the plague. Darwin, in fact, wrote, you might as well speculate about the origin of matter. <laughs> well, yeah, it's called the Big Bang, Darwin. <laughs> uh, but he, he tried to avoid it. Yeah. Because, and then the more we learn about life, and if, if life was really, really simple, Darwin could have been correct. But life is not simple. Life is incredibly complicated. And the more complex our understanding of life becomes, the less possible Darwinian evolution is. Oh, that's a great place to wrap the show up here. Dr. Carter, um, thank you so much for being on the oh, air today. Welcome. I highly recommend, again, creation.com, Creation Ministries International. Um, I, I, I've never gone to their site and typed in a question I had where an article didn't pop up that um, gave me insight into the question that I had. So uh, please check it out. And uh, that's Dr. Rob Carter, Achilles, Evolution's Achilles Heel. Uh, is a fantastic resource also. Please check that out. Next week, we're going to have on the radio um, Dr. Marcus Ross, who is a paleontologist, who's going to be talking about paleontology and uh, how that ha- supports the biblical record also. So uh, I will see you next week. I hope you have a fantastic Saturday. God bless you. Did you miss part of today's program? Don't worry, we're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit EducateForLife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800-243-9719 or email KevCon at EducateForLife.com. That's K-E-V-C-O-N at EducateForLife.com. You will always be much more to me Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. 